Welcome to Standout Medical Careers. I'm Anita Fletcher. In this series, we'll talk to doctors about all things medical career, what led them to where they find themselves and where they want to go next. Today's episode is about one doctor's journey to deciding on a career pathway. My guest is Dr. Ashna Basu, a Sydney doctor who will be embarking on psychiatry training this year. Ashna has had a range of fascinating experiences to get to this point, both in and beyond medical circles. In this interview, Ashna shares with us her motivations and philosophy and explains how she has applied skills in non-clinical settings to improve education and the healthcare system. So if you're looking to experience a rich and varied time as a doctor, the insights Ashna Ashna shares are priceless. Just before we hear Ashna's story, I need to tell you that if you want notifications of when I release a new episode, or if you would like to get a free checklist to help you deliver a strong interview performance, go to the Standout Medical Careers website and sign up for my newsletter, standoutmedicalcareers.com.au. Now let's hear about Ashna's inspiring career so far. Dr. Ashna Basu is an incoming psychiatry trainee and currently works at Prince of Wales Hospital as a resident, where she recently won JMO of the Year 2021. She also serves as the Vice President of Medical Women's Society of New South Wales, President of Prince of Wales Hospital's Resident Medical Officers Association and as a member representative of the Australian Medical Association of New South Wales Doctors in Training Committee. She's also a conjoint associate lecturer, speaker, and a published researcher. Outside of medicine, Ashna is co-founder and director of Pink Sparrow Limited, a governance advisory not-for-profit organisation. Ashna is passionate about mental health, gender equity, and social determinants of health. She's also driven to help improve systems to enhance the experience of patients and clinicians alike. Ashna, thanks for taking the time to chat today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And thanks for having me. This is so exciting. It's a pleasure. Let's learn a bit about you. Uh, can you tell us about your journey and how you've come to successfully gain entry to the psychiatry training program? Absolutely. I mean, it's quite a, a long journey. I guess it starts with medical school at UNSW in 2013. Um, and, you know, like it wasn't particularly linear. So I, I did my medical school in that six years, but also tried a bunch of other things during it, kind of dabbled in student politics and in governance with our student union and got to the end of that six years and throughout I had really loved psychiatry. I did my research in psychiatry and I did some research in public um, public health and sexual health as well. And I, I love psychiatry and I loved medicine, but I was really tired at the end of that six years and just wasn't a hundred percent sure if, you know, I'd never tried anything else. And I really needed that certainty to see, I guess, firstly, could I do other things? And then secondly, is there anything else that I'd like more than medicine? Um, and wanted to expand my horizons in that way. So I took a brief detour. I did a women in leadership um, internship with McKinsey and Company. And I also took a year off then to do my master's of health management at UNSW and worked in mental health strategy consulting. 
And I really loved all of those things. They were incredible experiences, but I did get that sort of yearning to return back to the clinical world. So I started my internship in 2020. Um, COVID kicked off in March 2020, so it was an interesting time. But I, I really loved both my internship and residency. And I did my psych term fairly early on in internship, and I I loved it. I really loved it. I loved the psych, psych element of every term that I did, but I wanted to keep my um, options open and wanted to make sure that I was doing myself um, justice by trying other things meaningfully. And then come residency, like I was, I was really set. I think I always knew, um, but it was good to give myself the chance to explore other things to really solidify the fact that I wanted to do psychiatry. And also that feeling that once I started doing psych, I would be doing psych, you know, hopefully forever. So I wanted to make sure that my medical and surgical foundations were strong as well. And then um, applied for the psych training program in 2021, and I'll be starting in about a month's time, which is really exciting. Fantastic. That's so, so good. And, um, and many listeners also have a diverse mix of interests. And today I'd like to get your insights regarding how you made the most of options available to you during and beyond university and the differences that these experiences has made, um, have made to the way that you practice medicine. I think, so I'll, I'll touch on the second bit first, actually, which is that all these different experiences um, have been amazing. I think for understanding things like how the hospital system works, but also just understanding systems and society more broadly, as well as the fact that you learn things in other fields, like in management consulting, feedback and personal and professional development is a real focus at McKinsey and Company and other consulting firms. And that was a really interesting thing to then take into my medical practice um, and really actively seek out feedback and give feedback in a way that wasn't normally um, the conventional way of doing things. Um, but I guess, I guess there are two ways that I made use of opportunities. One was by saying yes to things that I was interested in, even if I couldn't see an immediate benefit to my like, clinical career per se, just following things on the basis of, yeah, like I would love to learn more about that. And then the second one was actually crafting opportunities. So where I thought, hey, I'm really interested in that, just going out there and saying, well, can I make a role for myself or can I create something for myself that would move me in that field? For example, with mental health strategy consulting, I started off as a student politician that was really interested in student mental health and wanted to advocate for improvement of our university services. Then they decided to review those services and I was asked if I wanted to be part of the consulting team that reviewed them. So that was amazing and an incredible opportunity. I started doing that and then by the time it came around to doing like a, a review of a, a potential strategy for how we could improve those services, I actually went and approached the team and said, you know, like I was involved in the implementation and I'd love to be involved in the strategy as well. And here's the kind of role that I think that I could do. Um, they asked me how much I'd want per hour and I gave my figure and we went from there. And that's a role that I wouldn't necessarily have been offered had I not gone and proposed my involvement. Yeah, excellent. Proactivity all the way. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. It's a wonderful approach. And, and what you say about, you know, working in those different environments where you really learn about feedback and the way that organisations work is obviously 
got you in really good stead and that's uh, a great takeaway I think for a lot of people listening to the show. Thank you. And uh, you took a slightly different approach to many medical graduates, didn't you, um, by doing a master's in between medical school and internship? Uh, what motivated yeah. you to do that? And, and what, did you th what do you think you gained as a result? I think I was, I'd always wanted to do it. Like certainly I was really interested in not just those micro-patient interactions but the macro um, view of the system as a whole and what we could do to improve things because I'm very much the kind of person that when I'm in a situation and things aren't working, then I'm always thinking about like, well, what, what might work? What could we try? Um, I find it really hard to just accept that things aren't working and to move on. Um, and so health, uh, health management was really interesting from that perspective. It was something I always wanted to do. And then I got to the end of medical school and like I said, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of extracurriculars during it. I was pretty tired and I thought, why, why not just pursue other interests for a year, give myself a year to kind of look into everything else that I'd found interesting. And then at the end of that year, return to medicine, or maybe, you know, like I had the door open to say, well, maybe I might not return to medicine. Maybe, you know, like I had an offer at McKinsey and company and I could have moved there full time. It was just about giving myself the time and the space to explore what else was available and to see whether it was something I wanted to do. Um, and the course at UNSW was really fantastic. It, covered a whole host of things, so sort of more public health elements as well as leadership in health. Um, very timely, I looked at crises, disasters and outbreaks, which um, explored the bushfires, which then happened, and then explored how the health system needs to respond to a pandemic, which then happened, so it all felt very prophetic. Um, and I, I got to see really um, quite immediate gains from that knowledge and understanding the system. And even now working as a JMO, it's really... It brings a different lens to it when you're working and you actually understand why the words of a discharge summary are so important to secure hospital funding and why bed management pressures exist and why we're trying to discharge patients within X amount of time. Um, it just adds another lens that I think helps me understand the system and the people in it better. I also think we sort of know with innovation in any industry that typically industries will try and innovate and then they will reach a point where they stagnate. And that innovation gets driven further when someone in another industry comes up with an, a concept um, that you can then reapply to that initial innovation. And that's something that I kind of hold myself is that if I can try and learn a lot about different industries and different areas, then I can use that in my own practice. Mm -hmm. um, even things like how could we use design thinking in one-on-one -on -one psychiatric um, consultations with patients? And I think it's through getting that experience in so many different areas that you start to see how they can be amalgamated and how they could have symbiotic relationships. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in that too in terms of um, your interest in education. And, and as I'm sitting here thinking, listening to you, I'm thinking some of those ideas, you know, potentially could be brought into the medical curriculum uh, at an earlier stage. Uh, when people are studying medicine, you know, getting that more sort of broader system overview and understanding why things are the way they are. Uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a project for you and others potentially in the future. Um, and so where did your, your interest in psychiatry stem from? Was it always your first choice or did you come to it during internship? 
I think it's an interest that I've always had since school, even, you know, mental health and well-being and the way that that crafts an individual person's reality and their life um, and ultimately how it helps craft a society. Um, but I fluctuated, you know, for a while I thought I wanted to, well, it took me a while to be set on medicine. I thought I wanted to do law or international relations or journalism. And then I moved to, to being sure that I wanted to do medicine. And then within that, and it's, medicine's really fascinating. There's lots of really interesting stuff um, and I thought about different specialty options and then when I went to do my research I really decided um, I would focus something, on something that I was really passionate in um, and I also followed a supervisor so I really wanted to work with Professor Gavin Andrews so I ultimately decided even if I didn't do psych working with him would be amazing um, and just learning the process of research would be important and then I really I tried, I think I tried very hard to like other things so that I could prove to myself that it was actually really psychiatry that was my like first proper love and would always be the thing that I love the most. And with psychiatry, I think you just, you get to take a, a mixture of factors. So you take someone's genetics, their environment, their lived experience and their childhood and their physical health conditions and all of those come together and they craft essentially a lens through which this person views the world and that lens affects their ability to create relationships to engage in work it affects their physical health as well and their ability to seek care and adhere to treatment programs and that is just so fascinating to me and then when you zoom out and you think that our mental health is involved in things like traffic and congestion in a city in the amount of green space in our urban design like it's just psychiatry is everywhere and it's so important and it's um it's got a beautiful focus on social and cultural determinants of health um and all the things i really like i'm really interested in service delivery and public health and um the design of our society more broadly and that fits so perfectly within psychiatry and the people in psychiatry are amazing and the patients are incredible and they're to see someone who is struggling with their mental health slowly get better to the point where they're then able to function and live a meaningful life um, is really, really special. And I've just loved it. And I've, I've enjoyed every term and um, it's a really special feeling when you come to work every day and you're excited. And I actually caught myself sort of walking along humming, like, mm -hmm, I love my job. And I was like, okay, like I probably want to do this forever. Then. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. That's a pretty good indicator. Thank you for that. And and I know that you've got some pretty um, inspiring people in your um, family as well who kind of um, inspired you towards medicine. Would you mind telling us a little bit about one of those people? Of course. I'm very blessed. My grandparents on my father's side were both doctors. Um, my grandfather was an obstetrician and gynecologist. My grandmother was an anaesthetist. Um, and they were both incredible for their time and also for any time. They were just wonderful people. But recently, so I'm, I'm really involved in um, gender equity in medicine and I'm the vice president of the Medical Women's Society of New South Wales. Um, and it's something that's always been important to me. And I was talking to one of the professors that's also part of the committee and she was like, Basu, do you know, do you know a Dr. Tulsi Basu? That's probably a, a far call. Um, and it turns out that was my grandmother. So that was amazing. And it turns out so this was Professor Gay Casper, who was previously the president of the Medical Women's International Association. Um, it turns out she was actually very close to my grandmother. 
and they worked together closely because my grandmother was um, the president of the Indian branch of the Medical Women's International Association. And so that was an amazing kind of legacy to uncover. And I got to learn things about my grandma that I think probably my mum and dad, like they never got to see that sort of work side of her really in the same way. Um, and it was funny to then see that that's something that sort of runs in my blood. And it was exciting to think that this many years later, I'm sort of continuing that fight. And my mum as well, so she's an obstetrician and gynecologist in Wellington, New Zealand, and she's done so much that I kind of learn about every time I see her in terms of fighting to make sure that her trainees got maternity leave at a time when that wasn't guaranteed, um, making sure, you know, as a consultant, she was coming in on her on-call nights because there wasn't sufficient staffing for the juniors to feel safe. And so she got every consultant to come in until eventually the hospital changed the system. So um, I'm constantly learning new ways that I kind of come from multiple generations of system changes, which is really inspiring. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Ashna. And, you know, I, um, I think that, that that's sort of those stories are really fascinating and add to this whole concept of today, the theme of today's uh, discussion, which is really about pathways. So I think that, you know, pathways can be sort of formed and fed at a very early age, as, as in, in your case. Um, but where they, you know, end up and the people that you meet along those, along the way, I think, um, can obviously really affect the, the other pathways and the direction that you go in the future. So as you mentioned, even meeting, um, people like, um, Professor Casper and, and, and others along the journey, you sort of never know where it's going to go and how that's going to, um, influence your, your career choices. So thanks for sharing. And um, and in regards to the non-medical roles that you've undertaken, during your time working in other sectors, have you been tempted to head in another direction? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's it's interesting because like medicine is is so wonderful in so many ways, um, and you get to use a lot of different parts of your brain, but it is still ultimately quite clinical. And when you go through medical school, you really come out at the end thinking, well, this is all that I can do. And if you're having a moment of, well, what if I want to do something else that it kind of triggers a bit of a crisis because you think medical school leads to doctors, so I have no other choice. Um, and so doing other things, it was really interesting to be, so I've worked in education um, in some of my consulting work. And I never would have believed that that's something that I could do. And so it was really really awesome to do it and be like, wow, like, I love this work. It's really interesting. Um, you can make changes at a system level in lots of different industries. Um, ultimately, I did come back to medicine. I think it was partly the, the drawing of psychiatry and I'm interested in pain medicine as well um, and wanting to come back to those two, but also kind of missing that interaction with patients and, and the way that being a clinician makes you feel. But certainly, um, you know, I, I suspect that I'll be kind of like a fingers in many pies person and that I'll keep up those non-clinical things as well. My partner um, is a, works in business consulting and he and I, along with a friend of ours, co-founded um, a not-for-profit organisation called Pink Sparrow, which is a government advisory not-for-profit. 
where we work with other not-for-profits or charities and we help them optimise their governance and to work on areas that they're struggling with um, to build a good framework of good governance that then can help augment an organization's impact and that's just like a really lovely thing to have on the side and i i personally really cherish having non-medical aspects of my life i think it's really important to kind of keep that part of my brain going but also i think in medicine you never know when something might happen that might affect your ability to practice or where when it might affect your joy from work something like the pandemic i think has really affected the joy that people can derive from their work so you want to make sure that you have those different pillars in your life your friend and family pillar your medical work pillar and your non-medical pillar um, and hobbies and other things so that if one of those pillars feels a little bit wobbly you've got enough of a foundation to kind of still feel like you're staying upright mm, i couldn't agree more ashna and uh, that's really great advice for a lot of the people listening and you know and i think that what you talk about to your your other interests i know also that you're a keen writer and public speaker and and i'm i'm really um keen to sort of share these stories with people because a lot of doctors are looking for other things and and often they come to me and say oh well but I've been a doctor all my life what could I possibly do outside of uh, my clinical work and um, so it's great to get that message out there to as many people as possible but you know the range of options is so broad um, and and developing a few different pillars as you say um, not only enhances, you know, your enjoyment of your work as well as the options, um, but it also enables you to adapt um, your skills to other environments and and be able to offer even more to to the broader community. So, um, yeah, wonderful to see you continuing to do those things as well. And um, and. Today we've mentioned some really well-known and influential um, organisations and people. What do you see to be the impact of networking on your career? It's it's really invaluable and it's something that doesn't necessarily come naturally. I When I was in my fourth year of university doing a research project, you're encouraged to take two gen eds, um, so general education courses. So I did one in microeconomics going to learn about it um, another one in sort of an introduction to the workplace and it, it looked at interviewing and it also looked at networking and it was really interesting because prior to that I'd never been someone that like cold emailed someone or reached out to people um, but the goal of that aspect of the course was really to get you comfortable with the idea that you know maybe they just won't reply to your email and that's not the end of the world but maybe they will and here are things you can do to make it more likely that they will like find something that you have in common or display a genuine interest in their work rather than just reaching out to anyone um and so that was great because it got me comfortable with it and i think it's been really invaluable just because everyone's on their own path and they're going in different ways and you have no idea where someone's next step of their journey will take them um but to have someone meet you and know you and then just kind of keep them in the back of your mind has been really crucial where they'll move to another role and be like, hey, actually, I met this doctor doing this thing. Maybe she'd be interested. Um, or medical students that I worked with that are now working in other organisations, reaching out and being like, hey, could we collaborate? I think it just opens doors because you can't experience every opportunity on your own. That's impossible. So you want to have a network of people having different 
um, journeys, different opportunities, different ideas, and then you get to sort of experience that by proxy because maybe they do something and they think, hey, Ashna would really love this too. Or maybe even things like um, I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw that someone else had attended a healthcare innovation boot camp at Harvard and MIT, and I'd never even heard of that before, but it made me think, that's awesome. I think I would really love to do that. And so I applied and was successful. So I went to go, um, I went and studied at Harvard Medical School and MIT for two weeks for this intensive boot camp with like 70 people from around the world. And that's something that I would never have known existed if not for crafting a network of people interested in similar and different things um, that allowed me to see that that was available. And it's Um, So through Medical Women's Society of New South Wales, we've started a new sort of spotlight series, which recognises that it's impossible to know everything that's out there. So what you need is to kind of see what other people are doing and then you go, hey, maybe I could do that too. So we've started spotlighting different doctors and students and we just share a profile of their journey and the different things that they've done. And then it makes you go, hey, maybe I want to do the work as a medical director of family planning. I didn't even really think that that was an option available. Um, And it's all just about elucidating the breadth of opportunities available to you and encouraging you to go for them. Great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ashna. And um, in my earlier days, I used to think, you know, networking meant sort of boozy long lunches with uh, with for marketing people or advertising, the advertising industry. And uh, I learned that. Uh, thankfully that it's it's so much more than that and it is within everybody's reach uh, as you've mentioned and and I particularly like the LinkedIn platform for that and as you say you know having this opportunity to sort of look into other people's experiences which I think LinkedIn is really valuable and for affording everyone that you know having a basic profile but being able to look at you know what was the journey of some of the people that I aspire to you know being maybe somehow like um, in the future and and seeing that you know I think the assumptions that we've made about how those people got there it can often be so far off the truth uh, so yeah, really valuable, and it's all about working together with people in the end, isn't it? And uh, and gaining and sharing and sort of benefiting each other, working together. So that's that's brilliant. Thank you. And uh, and you mentioned innovation then, um, and of course, innovation plays a huge role in medicine with organisations, institutions, and individuals having a large appetite for new and improved ways of doing things. Um, What are your thoughts about the ways uh, psychiatric and medical practices can be integrated in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to prefer too much of an opinion in recognition of the fact that, you know, I haven't even started as a psych trainee yet, so I don't want to pretend like I have all the answers. Um, But in terms of observations that I've had so far, I think it's it's troubling the degree to which we place psychiatric medicine in a silo. Well, firstly, the fact that we don't recognise that it is psychiatric medicine, this idea that it's sort of um, just a completely different field and it's not really medicine at all. So I think that that's harmful because there's an interplay of different comorbidities, but also the the medications that we provide, like it very much is a specialised field of medicine and that's important to recognise. But also the fact that we segregate it from the rest of medicine and we act like it's completely different um, does a huge disservice, I think, to 
our systems and most importantly to our patients because people's brains and their mental health doesn't exist in this little bubble that's separate to everything else. Your mental health will dictate um, how motivated you feel to mobilize after surgery. It'll dictate whether you're able to take your medications. It'll dictate whether the medications you're on give you a host of other medical conditions. They're really important. And in hospital, I've seen that often when someone who has a sort of primary psychiatric issue also develops a medical issue, we don't really have meaningful systems in place to integrate that care. You then end up transferring them to a medical ward so they can get medical care, but they're then probably not getting their optimal psychiatric care. Um, and I think that an important innovation really will just be recognizing the fact that the brain is part of the human body um, and that these are areas that need to be integrated. And I would, you know, there are a million reasons why it's difficult, but I would love to see a truly integrated medical and mental health um, facility, which had mental health nurses and general nurses, and it had medical practitioners and um, psychiatric practitioners working together to provide both um, models of care in the same facility. So that if someone had complex psychiatric and medical needs, that they would be treated in this sort of specially designed facility um, that takes all of that in, into consideration. Okay, thank you. And uh, and now let's talk about applying to the specialty training program. What was your biggest concern as you prepared to apply for psychiatry training with the college this year? And um, and did you experience any hurdles in the lead up to application, or did the schedule and process kind of run to plan? Um, I guess my biggest concern was not getting in. Uh, that's always kind of yeah. the, the major worry that you have. And not only is it that you have to get onto the program, I wanted to, you know, I was grateful to get, you know, to work in psychiatry. That was my goal, but I also wanted to work in the Southeastern Sydney network. So that was sort of the second part, like being um, rated highly enough that I could get my first preference. Um, and that was definitely something playing in my mind. And there are, there are a lot of, it's a confusing process really, because you've got the sort of online recruitment thing. You've got to get all of your paperwork ready for that. And then you've also got your application to the College of Psychiatry separately. And then once you've got all of that done, you've got your interview to worry about. Um, massive thanks to you, Anita, <laughs> because I think one of the things I was really concerned about was um, how do I best represent myself in an interview? How do I make sure that the, the me that they're seeing in the interview is, is my actual self and that I'm not um, waffling or that I, I don't struggle to understand the question in the moment? And um, obviously, like, I love public speaking and I generally find that interviews are a place that I do tend to thrive, but I wanted to make sure that something as important as getting into my dream career, um, that I really focused on that. So as you know, I did a number of sessions with you um, and that was really incredible because that we'd practiced questions extensively that came up in my interview. Um, I had sort of you in the back of my head telling me, um, like, giving me advice and guiding me during it. And that was really helpful um, and gave me a lot of confidence as well because we were doing big sessions, you know, like if I can answer 40 minutes of questions in a row, then surely I can answer eight minutes of questions. Um, and I think that was, that was the most important thing for me feeling comfortable because a lot of the application 
is just sort of plagued in stress. Um, so the two important things that I did, I think, was getting all of my paperwork ready really early. You can sort of very much anticipate the paperwork they're going to want. So I had my CV prepared with you um, in April and kind of got everything that I could control, I controlled earlier because if I got busy with my clinical load in the lead up to exams, sorry, in the lead up to interviews, I wanted to make sure that I'd already had some of those variables sorted um, and then practicing interviews with you. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Ashna. And yeah, well, very wise in terms of your, you know, early preparation. And I, I noticed that from the outset, but really important advice, I think, and wisdom to, for, for others to take note of is particularly that point of you don't know what's going to arise in the meantime. Um, too often I see people who, you know, think that they've got plenty of time, including even um, people going for consultant roles. And, and they say to me, oh, well, people tend to be very focused on the application date and, and sometimes lose sight of the fact that the interviews might follow very soon after that and, and not so much for specialty training, um, but for other positions, you know, they can be quite surprised when that in, they get called for interview, you know, a few days or a week later after submitting their op, uh, application. So not getting blindsided and feeling really prepared and um, particularly in the context of so many other things going on at li in life. And I think that that's going to be really an important takeaway for a lot people listening now in terms of this year um, and I'm, I'm quite concerned about you know the workload at the moment on doctors everywhere and how that impacts um, their career planning and their preparation for the important events that are going to move their careers forward for this year. So um, thank you for those tips for everyone. And uh, of course, I'm so delighted that you were successful in getting onto the program. So well done. And I wish you all the very best for your training this year. And um, so Ashna, really thanks very much for sharing your experience and expertise with us today. Um, how can listeners get uh, look, get to learn more about you or get in touch? Uh, the easiest way is probably to follow me on Twitter. So I'm at Ashnabasu, one word, and you can contact me that way or find me on LinkedIn where I'm just Ashnabasu again. Um, and if you're interested in seeing more about our Spotlight series for Medical Women's Society of New South Wales, you can follow us at, at MWS underscore NSW on Instagram and Twitter as well. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Ashna, and I hope to see you in person soon. That would be great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. For You're welcome. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Bye.